So we're going to pray now. Lord, as part of our wider intercessions now, we thank you for the church in Romania. And thank you for the courage of those who have stood the test of hardship and hostility, hostility and cynicism. And now for that vibrant church that continues to grow in many parts of Romania, we thank you. And for our involvement over the years, we reflect on the visit of the choirs and heard of testimonies of, of sacrifice and of blessing and joy. And so, Lord, we do pray for Alan and Ollie as they prepare spiritually and all the practicalities that you would be with them and preserve them and in all the travelling and oftentimes the, the danger on uh, roads which are so different to ours and the infrastructure and the uncertainty oftentimes that you guide them and bless them and particularly for this building project and for Pastor Julian Church in Talaras, we thank you. Lord, we thank you that you are a merciful God and you know our struggles as we try to serve you and you know too when sin spoils our lives and overshadows our hearts we can but ask that you would come to our aid once more and turn us back to you again. Lord, we thank you for your love for us and your constant care all the time. And now as a people, with a measure of honesty as best we can, we know that this week we have not always lived the way you would want us to. And we have thought and done wrong things we've left undone things that we should have done and Lord it is only you who can really help us and save us and forgive us and we pray that as we listen to your word that that might be true for us indeed even as we already are worshipping you you will draw us back to yourself so we thank you for this time just to briefly reflect upon our lives personally. And we do that conscious that you are with us. So we pray, Lord, that may we find your light even in our darkness. Once more to discover your joy in our sorrow your liberating grace in the midst of all of our frustrations and we pray that you would enrich us once more with the knowledge of your love bless your church O oh Lord we pray and for all of us here today that we might renew our trust in you 
however feeble we might think our faith is we reach out to you again and give us the courage and the confidence to express that in our homes with our friends where we socialize where we worship that there may be a real sense of the overflow and the outpouring of your grace would you help us Lord and bless your people throughout the world as we join in thanksgiving and worship and reflect upon your church with all of its variety and diversity and Lord now in a moment we're going to take these most familiar words on our lips and in our hearts so that the fragments of our thinking and living and praying would be gathered into that one great prayer that you taught your disciples to pray saying our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil thine is the kingdom the power and the glory forever and ever Amen the current is going to read to us now Thanks. the reading is from Deuteronomy 12 verses 1 to 14 the one place of worship. These are the decrees and laws that you must be careful to follow in the land that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has given you to possess as long as you live in the land. Destroy completely all the places on the high mountains, on the hills and under every spreading tree where the nations you are dis dispossessing worship their gods. Break down their altars smash their sacred stones and burn their Asherah poles in the fire. Cut down the idols of their gods and wipe out their names from those places. You must not worship the Lord your God in their way, but you are to seek the place the Lord your God will choose from among all your tribes to put his name there for his dwelling. To that place you must go. There bring your burnt offerings and sacrifices your tithes and special gifts, what you have vowed to give and your free will offerings and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. There in the presence of the Lord your God, you and your families shall eat and shall rejoice in everything you have put your hands to because the Lord your God has blessed you. You are not to do as we do here today, everyone doing as they see fit. Since you have not yet reached the resting place and the inheritance the Lord your God is giving you, but you will cross the Jordan and settle in the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and he will give you rest from all your enemies around you so that you will live in safety. Then to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name, there you are to bring everything I command you your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts, 
and all the choice possessions you have vowed to the Lord. And there rejoice before the Lord your God, you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levites from your towns who have no allotment or inheritance of their own. Be careful not to sacrifice your burnt offerings anywhere you please. Offer them only at the place the Lord will choose in one of your tribes, and there observe everything I command you. Thanks, Karen. But in an earlier sermon in the series, I quoted from Augustine, who described the restlessness that he experienced as he looked for God in this way. He said, You stir man to take pleasure in praising you, because you have made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. All in the other week when he gave his testimony, I spoke of a hole in his life that needed to be filled. Um, others describe it as a, a vacuum, a, a desire to, to be loved, maybe a need to um, depend on some greater person or being. And what all these actually have in common is that until we find God, as human beings we are incomplete. Because God has made us for the express purpose of a relationship with Him. And as we said before in the series, the depth of that relationship with Him will depend on the depth of our understanding of God, um, which is why we've been doing this series in Deuteronomy on an awesome God, looking at different aspects of God's character, His nature, and what He has done for us. So we looked at His uniqueness, His faithfulness, His mercy, His grace, etc. And the reason we've been doing that is because everything we do as a church depends on our vision of God. <laughs> we're going to have the most gifted people, um, the best building, the biggest church bank account, but if as a people we haven't got a big vision of God, then it's all worthless. It all just becomes a ritual. Well, the first 11 chapters of Deuteronomy are focused on, on God, let's move into chapter 12 um, and this next section which carries on through chapter 26 it focuses on how the people respond to God with uh, their worship and their lives and the question we're looking at this morning is how do we respond to such an awesome God well the first point I want to make this morning as it comes out from this, this passage is that we should demonstrate our loyalty to God by removing idols from our lives if you remember back in chapter 4 um, of Deuteronomy, you listen to the uniqueness of God, and this is um, what it said there. It said, Acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth below. There is no other. And that is the context for the covenant relationship between Israel and God. That is why the Ten Commandments begin with, You shall have no other gods before me. If there is one true God, then he deserves our absolute loyalty over any other competing loyalty. And what God is saying in this passage in chapter 12 is you cannot have conflicting loyalty. And anything that may cause the people to lose their loyalty or to divide their loyalty needs to be got rid of. And so he says in, that, in chapter 2, destroy completely all the places on the high mountains, on the hills, and under every spreading tree where the nations you are dispossessing worship their gods. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, burn their ash of holes in the fire, cut down the idols of their gods, and wipe out their names from those places. 
when I went to visit Bethlehem and Canada in Senegal and several months back, um, I went with Senegal to, to an island called uh, Alouvalile, um, where there are a couple of Christian converts. Um, it's a mud island, as you see from the picture here, um, transported by dugout. Might have an outboard motor if you're lucky. Um, no running water. And the main religion of the island is this fetishism. So it's as you, you walk around, see the village, you see these fetish shrines. Now, there are also a number of Catholics in the village, um, and they would join in the, the fetish um, rituals. So when these couple of guys did become Christians and stop taking part in them, um, they were, you know, confronted by the other villagers and saying, why don't you take part anymore? After all, you know, the Catholics do, why can't you? And in Brazil it's the same, they syncretized their, their religion with other very different religions and to the extent that the worship became meaningless. They were not worshipping one God. So why did the Canaanites worship gods like, like Baal? At the end of the day, it was really about what they could get out of it. Um, what was important to them were, were good harvests, um, fertility, large families, uh, success in battle. So they were offering things to their gods for what they could get in return. In many ways, you could say, well, those gods are similar to the gods of the 21st century in the UK. But it's about money, it's about sex, it's about power. But idols are much more subtle than that, aren't they? Because idols are often, in themselves, good things. But things that become objects of our worship, sometimes without us even realising. For example, it's good to achieve, uh, it's good to do well. But if we're doing that simply for the approval and appreciation of others, then that becomes an idol. It's good to lead a moral life. But that can become an idol of religion. Families are a good thing, but if you've got no time for anybody outside your family, then the family has become an idol. Helping others is, is a great thing, isn't it? what we're called to do, but when we're no longer able to help others for whatever reason, maybe because of health, um, and our life becomes meaningless as a result, then that helping has become an idol. Idols are often good things in themselves, but it's difficult to identify them sometimes, isn't it? One way would be to maybe ask yourself this question, what would really make me happy? What would really make my life worth living? Or the alter alternate question is, what is my greatest nightmare? What could happen to me that would make my life no longer worth living? Your greatest nightmare is rejection. Then your idol is, is probably the approval of others. If your greatest nightmare is uncertainty, then your idol may be control. <coughs> If your greatest nightmare is humiliation, then um, your idol is probably power. If there's something we need besides Jesus Christ to make us happy, or something we feel we can never live without, then we're guilty of making that an idol. Which is what sin is all about, isn't it? It's having another God besides the one true God. The people of Israel are told here to, to get rid of all the others, to avoid them being tempted. And they're also told about your verse 4, you must not worship the Lord your God in their way. So even when they're worshipping the right God, their worship may be dishonouring to God if they're doing it in these ways. 
how, how is this the case? Or look at verse 8. There it says, You are not to do as we do here today, everyone as he sees fit. Or verse 13. Be careful not to sacrifice your burnt offerings anywhere you please. It's not about just what is good for us. It's about what is right for God. It's possible for our worship to be dishonouring to God even without realising. And that's why one of the things we pray before the service as elders um, often is, is that our corporate worship would be honouring to God. That nothing would creep in that would somehow dishonour Him. But what is worship that, that pleases God then? What are God's people called to do? What does this passage tell us? But it tells us that we should rejoice together in God's presence. The instruction about worship that God gives the people of Israel, he says this in verse 7, have a look and look down there. In the presence of the Lord your God, you and your families shall eat and shall rejoice in everything you put your hand to, because the Lord your God has blessed you. Or in verse 12, and there rejoice before the Lord your God, you, your sons and daughters, your men servants and maid servants, and the Levites from your towns who have no allotment or inheritance of their own. Interesting, the food plays a uh, part here, isn't it? We shouldn't underestimate the blessing that uh, food can be. It was great to be at the Spectrum uh, lunch on Wednesday here in the Concourse era, a time of getting to know people over a meal table. But apart from the food, what is it about coming together in this passage that is a cause for rejoicing? Well, they are in the presence of God. And they are in the presence of other like-minded people, other worshippers of God of all ages and backgrounds. And I can honestly say I do enjoy coming to church. I know I say that because I'm the pastor. Um, but even when I was going in my sabbatical visiting other churches, I enjoy doing that. Um, obviously it's not as enjoyable as coming here with people you know better. But it's still enjoyable because wherever you meet with God's people, you're coming together in God's presence to celebrate and to rejoice. What one makes a, a good party for you? Um, is it the, uh, the music? Uh, maybe the atmosphere? Uh, the venue? Maybe the food? Maybe the theme? They're all good things, aren't they? But isn't the most important thing the people? And who you're celebrating with? I remember uh, my banking days being flown once to, to Malaga in Spain for a sort of director's retreat thing. Um, stayed in a lovely five-star hotel, ate lovely food, got entertained by the local flamenco dance and all that sort of stuff. And was it really enjoyable? Well, not actually, because for most of those people, the most important thing in their lives was their career. It was about making money, and actually we didn't have an awful lot in common apart from working for the same bank. And believe it or not, it was probably more enjoyable staying in a tacky Ponton's holiday chalet on the Norfolk coast in the British winter um, with the uh, other FIC leaders at their conference. Because we are with other Christians in the presence of God. And when we appreciate the awesomeness of God, His power, His majesty, the fact that He invites us into His presence is an amazing thing, isn't it? He's a holy God. And we're not worthy to come into his presence. We've seen something of that in these early chapters of Deuteronomy. He's set apart from the rest of his creation. He's different from his creatures. And it's frightening. If we don't understand the holiness of God, then we, we won't appreciate what a huge privilege it is to actually come into his presence. And the reason we are able to come into his presence 
is because Jesus has ushered us in. It's like that girl we were talking about earlier with the, uh, the young people who met Roger Federer. She wouldn't be allowed, like none of us would be allowed to go into the, the All England Lawn Tennis Club. It's hallowed ground, isn't it? Um, but she went in because Roger Federer invited her in. Let's turn to, um, to Hebrews chapter 12 for a minute in the, uh, in the New Testament, at the back of the, uh, the New Testament. Got a church Bible on page one two one one. Let's have a look at um, verse eighteen. We've got a comparison here between Mount Sinai and uh, Mount Zion. Hebrews chapter twelve, reading from verse eighteen. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched, and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The contrast could not be greater, could it, between Mount Sinai, a blazing fire, the darkness, the gloom, the storm, the gathering of a trembling congregation, and Mount Zion, where there is rejoicing of thousands of angels, all those whose names are written in the book of life, those who've been made perfect because of Jesus, all because, it says here, the blood of Jesus that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Abel was killed by his brother Cain. His blood demonstrated the guilt of Cain. It pointed, he called out for judgment. Christ's blood, his voluntary death on the cross in our place, is won our forgiveness. It means we're declared innocent. We can stand before God with great confidence. Which brings me on to another thing that makes a good party something to celebrate. It's been a bad week for Brazilian football. Got a sad night in the Ferdinand household. The portion of the show was thrown away on the Duke of Edinburgh walk. But the stadium of Horizonte that night was full of people with something in common. They were there. They had something in common. They supported Brazil. But at the end of the evening, they had nothing to celebrate. They were there for one thing, and that was to celebrate their team win. And of course, it didn't happen. But every time we come to church, we celebrate something because the death of Christ set us free. And we, we celebrate it with others who've been set free as well. And it says back in Deuteronomy 12, There in the presence of the Lord your God, you and your family shall eat and shall rejoice in everything you put your hand to. Rejoice. It says to put your hand to. Um, to put your hand to something, to work, isn't it? to serve God. And we can rejoice. In that, in those things that go well, not because we've done a good job, but as it says here, because the Lord your God has blessed you. He's blessed your work, the work of your hands. And those are things we can celebrate. 
It was right for celebrating the opening of this building by, by thanking God for the people who had worked so hard in making it happen. We were thanking God for his blessing and what they put their hand to. And so several we should be thanking God for, for Jeff and Hannah, for their ministry over many years, the, the ministry which God has blessed. It's a time for rejoicing. Worshipping is rejoicing together in God's presence. And so coming back to idols, how do we get rid of idols? Well, whenever you feel yourself in the grip of an idol, then and it may be some kind of disobedience or temptation or, or just worry, just ask yourself, how does Jesus give me the, the fulfillment that I'm looking for somewhere else? How does he give it to me in a much better way than my particular idol can ever do? As human beings, we are made to worship. And when you're a Christian here this morning, or not, we will all worship something or someone. But it's only in Jesus that we will find true fulfillment. Because he, he's not fickle, he never changes. He's trustworthy, he's faithful, he will love us forever. And if you haven't yet experienced that love, I do pray that you will do. And if you, you want to say more about that, then do please have a word with me after the service or chat or somebody else you know here. Rejoice as you consider what Jesus has done and what he's given you. But what else are the people called to do when they come into his presence um, as, they, as they do rejoice? Have a look at verse 5. It says, To that place you must go, there bring your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts, what you have vowed to give, and your free will offerings and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. An important part of our worship is our offering. Now the burnt offerings and sacrifices um, were to make the people of Israel acceptable to, to God. Yeah. As we've just seen, as Christians we come into God's presence as already acceptable. Not because of the sacrifices we bring or any offerings we bring, but because of the sacrifice that Jesus has made on our behalf, the sacrifice of his life. It was the ultimate sacrifice. So what can we possibly bring now to God when it's all been done? It seems so um, insignificant, doesn't it? Um, it's a bit like um, Christmas in our house when we have um, my sister-in-law around and she dushes out all these lovely presents. Um, you know, here's, a, here's an iPhone uh, and it's like, what can I give in return? Um, church cookery book? I mean, <laughs> you know, it's a lovely book as it is. You know, it's not quite the same as it feels insignificant. Compared to the sacrifice of Jesus, everything feels insignificant. But the thing is that although Jesus has done it all for us, what we can offer and what God most wants from us is not some sort of gift in return, it is gratitude. It is gratitude that we can express in different ways. We can express it as we come together. We express it um, by worshipping with other Christians. Just being together in itself is an expression of our gratitude to God. As we do come together, we can express it in our prayers, our thanksgiving, and our singing, singing from the heart as we read God's word together and listen attentively to what he has to say to us as we share in the Lord's Supper together and also as we bring our financial offerings to him but if we're not careful those things can become 
a bit of a ritual. I've been to church, I've done all those things, I've ticked them all off. And so it's not just doing those things that brings God's pleasure, it's doing those things so that they affect the rest of our lives throughout the week. So that we are able to live lives that are more committed, more obedient, more distinctive. Coming together is so that we are able to offer more and more of our lives to God. The Israelites brought free will offerings as well. And as Christians we are taught to bring free will offerings in 2 Corinthians. It says this, it says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly, on the compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now that was referring specifically to money, but the same principle applies to our, our time, to our talents. We will never, I'm sure, in this life give so much of our lives that there is nothing left to give. As Michael have actually said at the, uh, the HTV Leadership Conference um, this year, he says, love until it hurts, and then love some more. And you could just say the same about giving. Give until it hurts, and then give some more. But what would make us want to do that? Which is where we come full circle, because if it's giving out of guilt, that's not what God is looking for. If it's giving to, give, to get something in return, that's not what God is looking for. The type of giving that pleases God is giving with a cheerful heart, giving out of gratitude. And the only way in which we're able to give and give some more is to grow in our knowledge of God, to know his love deeper and deeper, to be filled with a knowledge of him and his awesomeness. Well, as we finish, let me leave you with um, that verse from, from Psalm 16. We read earlier on, Psalm 16, 11 says this, You made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. We have a moment of quiet now to ask God maybe to make names of the path of life if he hasn't yet done so. And if he has, let's ask his spirit to show us anything or anyone in our life that's become an idol. Let's ask him to show us if we can give more of our lives to him. A moment of quiet. But if God has shown you something you, you want to be free from it or if you, you want to give more of your life to God, then you all need a spirit help. You won't be able to do it in your own strength, is it? Let's pray for that now. Um, and if God has been speaking to you this morning, can I encourage you to pray with somebody, somebody about it after the service, the prayer ministry team will be available um, I'll be around, the elders will be around or just maybe share with somebody close by to you, let's just pray now Lord we God we praise you that you are an awesome God you are the one true God and that you deserve all of our lives but we are aware sometimes that we hold things back from you that there are other things which uh, drive us Lord, you know what they are and we pray that you would point them out to us. Lord, help us to be able by your Spirit working in us to give more of our lives to you in whatever way you make clear to us. 
praise of Jesus.